listeners, and welcome to this week's bonus episode of With Love, Victoria. I'm creator Rachel Garnett, and today I'm joined by the Prince of Saxe-Coburg, Mr. Colton Fife. How are you, Colton? I'm doing well yourself. Pretty great. Um, well, I'm so happy to have you here on the show today and to talk about your very first episode, which premiered Prince Albert has sauntered onto the scene. It's an exciting time. Ooh. So uh, in this last episode, we saw you make your entrance at a ball. You immediately uh, criticize everything about this woman, and then she falls in love with you, and you have a very romantic song together, and you guys get married. So it's quite a of the whirlwind romance. So my question for you is, did you know anything about Prince Albert before you came to join us here on the podcast? I really didn't. All I knew about him was he was a prince married to Queen Victoria. And that was honestly it. I didn't even know. I thought he had an British accent. I thought he was just Oh, good old British boy. Well, that brings to kind of the biggest thing about playing him. He's German. How have you found doing that German accent week in and week out? Terrifying. <laughs> um, <laughs> it, it's really cool. I'm, it's given me a great opportunity to look into the language and look into the accent. And so I've grown an appreciation for the the language as well that I never thought I would have because I never had a reason to look into it. It was so funny when I reached out to you, I was like, hey, do you want to get involved in this podcast? And you were all gung-ho. And I was like, great, so you're going to be playing Prince Albert and this. And I probably had been talking to you for about 45 minutes. And then I was like, oh, you also have to sing a song in German. Don't worry about it. Uh, Moving on. Because uh, <laughs> it can be a little bit of a terrifying thing to have to sing uh, an entire song in a language that is not your own. Yes, definitely. How has coming into this process? So I think you're one of the newest cast members to the show. You joined us just for the podcast. How has it been coming in and uh, stepping into Albert's shoes in this auditory format? It's been interesting. It's been a really cool, different experience. And I mean, I've just been grateful to be able to do something related to theater and the arts uh, just because everything shut down. So it was lovely to f have something to be involved in again. And it was very intimidating knowing that there were so many people involved that had had this history with it and have been like involved in the readings and stuff. And I got involved just over a month ago, if that's correct. Yeah. I reached out to you after we had already recorded episodes one through three, because I kept putting off. I was like, oh, yeah, I need to cast somebody as Prince Albert. I'll figure it out when I get there. That episode's so far away. He doesn't come in till halfway through the season. I've got time. I've got time. And suddenly I was getting the final mix of episode three, and we had to start recording episode four. And I was like, I have not cast a single person in this role. <laughs> But something I have to say is even though you were a latecomer, you were definitely last but not least because, I mean, you and Kayla as a team, it's funny, uh, the episode before this, Jonathan, Coberta, and I were talking about their chemistry uh, between Melbourne and Victoria, but the chemistry between you and Kayla as acting partners has been amazing and you have been a joy to work with. And then your chemistry as Victoria and Albert, these very complicated individuals who get into a very complicated relationship has been delightful to watch. How has it been working with Kayla? It's been great. She's a very giving performer. So she puts a lot and it's interesting being in just a podcast form. It really forces you to just 
give it all within your inflection and the way you play with your voice. It gave me a lot more to think about and play with, which was fun. And so working with her was awesome. And you yourself were a great director and you gave such awesome notes and everything, which made it a lot easier to get into characters in those scenes and play off of each other. And she likes to keep things fun. So it just made the whole experience very light and open and relaxed, which made it so much easier than being nervous and stressed about it. I always looked forward to recording with you and Kayla because not only do you two have so much to do, we also do have so much fun. So it ends up taking us, you know, two to three hours to record all of the scenes that we needed to do and talk through everything because we go on so many tangents. And I mean, I want to release a gag reel of just your recordings, the two of you, because it is hysterical (laughs) getting to create with the two of you. And it's funny, you know, you talk about it being this only doing this through sound. You've only seen Kayla face to face twice, I think. You saw her over Zoom at our first rehearsal, and then you saw her on Zoom at the listening party. And other than that, she's kind of been this phantom voice. Yeah, that's that's been definitely interesting because I underestimated the challenge of building an intention without having a visual to react to. Mm, Yeah, that's fascinating. I definitely underestimated how challenging that would be as a performer, but she just gives so much within her text and dialogue and your writing is wonderful. So it's a lot easier than it could have been. Thank you. How will you take the lessons you've learned from audio cues into performing, you know, when you finally do get to go back on stage, be live in person, and you have visual cues again? Do you think that you'll take lessons from this and translate it to the stage? Very much so. I think before I mostly relied on body language versus vocal cues as a performer, even though I am mainly a musical theater performer, so I relied on the music and interpreting how the orchestration and underscoring influences the character, I didn't necessarily focus as much on the vocal delivery from the other from my scene partner, which is something I'll definitely be focusing more on because it really helps to flesh out a scene and flesh out the characters so much more than you can just by relying on one or the other. Absolutely. But that's not to say that this format has no limitations. What is something that you would like to bring to Albert if you ever got to play him on stage? Ooh, that would be just such a cool experience. I think just embodying his, I really feel like his attitude would be really fun to embody. Like he just, he's such an intellectual person And being able to interpret that would be so, so exciting. And now that you mention uh, him, the kind of person he was, this very intellectual man, let's move on from Colton as Albert and talk a little bit about Albert the man. So in this past episode, we saw the beginning of your relationship. What did you think of Albert as you approached him for this first time in in this scene? What were your first impressions of this character? Uh, My first impression of Albert... um... I wasn't too sure what to think of him. He's such an interesting individual. Most of the stuff I found written about him is sort of through the scope of Victoria. Mm Mm-hmm, yeah. But he was very interesting because you have to take into account how often he was sick and how smart he was. So he would carry himself and his voice would be placed differently 
when he's constantly sick and then when he's healthy. So it was trying to find a middle ground of, oh, do I just play him like a young? Because he was 20 when they first met or mm-hmm. was he 16 on his first visit. No, oh, well, when they very first met, Queen Victoria and Albert were cousins. Mm-hmm. And so they met as children, I, I think 13, but I am not super positive uh. on that. But they met again when they were 20, and it was kind of the actual start of their relationship. And in the show, Princess Beatrice, while writing in Queen Victoria's Diaries, uh, says, I found him very grown and changed, and I was very taken by him, something along those lines. And so they had met before, but this was kind of their restart. When you start playing him, you were tw- he's 20 years old. When you finish playing him, he's dead. <laughs> when he finished playing if he's dead <laughs> but yeah. when you started playing this character he was 20 years old when you finish him he's 42 but that whole time you definitely maintained the integrity of who this man was he was highly educated he was very I want to say that he was very ambitious but not in a conniving sort of way like someone like Conroy was mm. or any of Queen Victoria's uncles his ambition, and we get to see this in kind of later episodes, I think lends itself more to wanting to do more for the world and definitely somewhat for himself. But, you know, even in Can't You See, he sings about all of these things that could be done. Uh, and he was very, very passionate about all of them. But Colton, what do you think of his choice to immediately berate this woman? about how she's running her country. <laughs> and do you think that's nearly as romantic as Victoria thought it was? It, it's really interesting because that's such an odd choice. Like, oh, hey, this is what you're doing wrong. Just right off the bat. And so I, that says a lot about his character and what he cares about because he's obviously ex- very worried about the people that she's governing and making sure that she's doing what is best for them. And I find it really strange that she found that very attractive, especially at that time. Like, I feel like she would have been having a lot of men telling her she should do this and do that, even though she's queen. I think a big part of it had to do with the fact that she was also extremely attracted to him. Yeah, (laughs) that helps. Her diary and, you know, the diaries that we have access to today are the edited diaries by Princess Beatrice. So this is what Princess Beatrice left in. It's just riddled with how hot she thinks Albert is. Yeah. (laughs) She loved that mustache. She loved that mustache. Well, did you know that she made everybody in the British Army grow a mustache? Because she just (laughs) thought mustaches were so hot. Like, it was a part of the uniform. That's so funny. She's like, yeah, that's hot. Everyone, mustaches, go. She said, I am queen and I get to decide what I want. So this is what... Queen Victoria wrote in her journal when Albert, her cousin, and her other cousin, Ernst, his brother, came to visit her. So it says, I received my two dear cousins, Ernst and Albert, whom I found grown and changed and embellished. It was with some emotion that I beheld Albert, who is beautiful. So that was on October 10th, 1839. And she proposed to him on the 15th of October, 1839. Thoughts and feelings about that engagement there? 
that's a quick turnaround, to say the least. <laughs> Absolutely. And it's fascinating because we see in the show that she talks about how she's ready to rule alone. And then who, who enters but this, this beautiful man, as she <laughs> writes. But that was relatively true to history. She wasn't physically in the middle of saying the words, I'm never getting married when he walked through the door. But she was kind of on this kick of, I want to do this alone. She had a soft spot in her heart for Queen Elizabeth I and, you know, the Virgin Queen of England idea. She was very into romantic images, not just like relationally romantic images, but like grand images of providence and what should be. And I think the idea of another Virgin Queen posed a very pretty picture to her. Mm. But that kind of romance did not hold a candle to what she ended up feeling about Albert. Mm. Do you think that getting into an engagement after five days was a precursor for a healthy relationship? <laughs> Typically, I would say no. But <laughs> I would say they were very lucky in in regards to, at the time, engagements were really quick and people got married very young. But also within the royalty, a lot of the time the marriages were not based off if you liked someone, it was for land or position. But I think they recognized very quickly in each other that they can get married and they do actually, they are very attracted to each other and how lucky they are to find themselves in this situation where they won't be forced to marry someone they hate. And this uh, theme of romance and attraction plays a a large role in her diaries, as I said. But what do you think of the personality conflicts that will start seeing to arise in episodes five and six and that were very true to life? Do you think the personality conflicts were evident from the beginning? Uh, I wouldn't say that, especially in the manner that they met was more of a structured sort of occasion. And so they would have their best foot forward and sort of not be 100% themselves. So I think that was something they discovered later. And But I think their physical relationship really helped push past that. <laughs> and boy, was there a physical relationship. In her diary, Queen Victoria talks about how he would put on her stockings and take them off. It was like one of her favorite things. And eventually, after her ninth child... Her doctor said, you cannot have another kid. This is not going well. Her response, which is not in our show because I was constructing a scene with a certain theme. We were trying to get to a certain point, And this direct quote didn't exactly fit in with the vibe we were going for. But she looked to the doctor and she said, does that mean Albert and I may have no more fun? <laughs> so I mean, like right till the end, she... That's where her best laid plans were. So something that was a challenge for me in writing Albert initially was this clash that he had with Victoria that came up time and time again about his role and how he wanted to be master in his own house sort of thing. And I always had a hard time relating to him and finding that to be a justifiable position because he did marry the Queen of England. 
do you think he just thought he could change her or did he not really understand what he was getting into? He knew he was never going to be a king. Yeah, I think he went into the relationship with a bit of a high expectation of where he would end in society, sort of his position. And being a product of the time, I think there was a bit of unease at the idea of like, there could have been, we don't know for certain, but there could have been influence from the outside being like, oh, he's not a, the patriarch of his house. Because I know that was a big thing at the time. Like, the men were the masters of the house. And in this situation, the roles reversed. So I think that may have caused a sort of societal view of Albert. And there was a lot of disdain for his having been from Bavaria originally. There was a bit of tension there. And all those play into his sort of minor neuroses and he wanted so much to be involved and help change and I think he felt in the position he is he couldn't have a say in as much as he had liked to. I think that was a great way to describe him minorly neurotic Mm -hmm. and something I also want to say about your Albert is that you do a great job in walking that line of him really wanting the right thing, the good thing, the wholesome thing, and him also wanting to fulfill that societal role. You make a great point that he was in a very specific period in time, and he was fighting against so many cultural expectations of men, of British men, when he was not a British man. And I think that for the circumstances... He turned out more understanding than he could have been, probably not as understanding as he should have been. Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah, it's interesting because I I really feel like he wanted to be involved more, but he also kept himself so busy, like with the year was it? The exhibition of 1851, I believe, the Crystal Palace. He, He was one of the head figures that pushed that and like always teaching his children. He was very busy, but I think he always wanted more at the same time. And you did a great thing in the script of, he says, paraphrasing, forgive me for wanting to be a master in my home. And I think that line sums up sort of his frustration where he's been raised that, oh, the man is the master of the house, this very patriarchal system. And then he's in a situation now where that idea is flipped for him. And I think also it arose from Victoria is definitely not a completely innocent party in this relationship because she would also kind of give him more power and then be like, well, no, but don't do it like that. Don't use your power like that. <laughs> and she would give him things to do and be like, well, but don't do it like that. Like she did, never made things easy. I feel like you've definitely made me more compassionate towards him, which is kind of my own prejudice because uh, – <laughs> You know, as a strong woman in the 21st century, I want the strong woman to succeed. But, you know, I think it's important to acknowledge that Victoria certainly was not always in the right Mm -hmm. and that Albert was definitely a personality who was fighting social norms to hold a role that was definitely different than what other men were holding. And I think he did it as best as anyone could have. Yeah. And I think what didn't help is his straightforwardness. He doesn't seem to like to beat around the bush, Mm. which can come across as crass and offensive. And so he, and he's very intellectual. So I think he, the combination of the two can sort of 
come across as a negative attribute in people. Which is really fascinating that he and Victoria had this very intense relationship, both positively and negatively, because she loved flattery. And it was a big thing with her ministers throughout the years. Like People knew that to get the queen on your side, you needed to compliment her. You needed to engage her in conversation. And I wouldn't say those were his skills. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) I would agree with that. Well, he probably had engaging conversation but not in the way that had been proven to be a successful tactic at getting Victoria on your side. Yeah, I think that one's interesting because if I remember correctly, she's on our honeymoon. She was quoted as saying, like, he said such beautiful things to me that... Oh, yes, I have it right here. At 10.20 p.m. To lie by his side and in his arms and on his dear bosom and be called by names of tenderness... I have never yet heard used to me before, was blissed beyond belief. Oh, this was the happiest day of my life. May God help me to do my duty as I ought and be worthy of such blessings. So whatever he did that (laughs) night, he nailed it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And actually just thinking about while you were reading that, I think the children was one of the biggest divide that caused one of the biggest divides between the two is because she, correct me if I'm wrong, so had a postpartum depression is the theory. Pretty, yeah, she had it yeah, pretty, pretty severely. Rough. And she also was disgusted by babies. She thought they were the most ugly thing ever. And she thought breastfeeding was like horrible. Yeah, yeah I think she, she said, she was like, I don't want to see them until they're actual little humans. <laughs> <She's> <laughs> like, even, the, even the most beautiful of babies is gross, essentially. Yeah, she, she was not a fan. And she hated pregnancy even more. Yeah. And I think Albert not being able to, because he's, I think he put a lot of weight in family and meant a lot to him and was very invested in the children's education and things. And I don't think he was able to understand, obviously, as a man, like, who's not going to give birth, never has, isn't going to be able to understand that, especially at a time when it's not understood. Mm. And so I think that drove a big wedge between the two. So I think they both can be painted in a bad light because she's, some people say she was an awful mother and just a terrible mother figure to their her kids. And I think it's all just a product of the time and not having an understanding of what's really going on with everyone involved. She needed some medication and she would have been hunky-dory. Yep. Get on those yep. postpartum antidepressants and you're ready to rumble. And you're ready to rule, baby. Well, Colton... This has been delightful. It has. It was very fun talking about this with you. I hope you've had a fun ride on With Love, Victoria, the podcast. We've certainly enjoyed having you. And we're going to miss you when you die. (laughs) Thank you for having me until I die. I was super grateful that you asked me to get involved. It was a lovely opportunity to have fun, play, and learn a lot about people I really knew nothing about. Colton, where can we find you on the interwebs in the world where can we watch for your work? I haven't been doing much posting at all, but I have an Instagram. It's just my name, Colton Avery Fife. I believe it's at Colton Fife. That's, that's about it. And listeners, if you would like to follow the podcast, you can follow us at With Love Victoria Musical on Instagram. We are also on YouTube. You can follow Ticking Clock Theater and see each episode. Uh, posted weekly, and we will see you on Monday for episode five.
Bye. Bye.